So the subject strategy of the pre-sanctified gifts. Uh, and uh, as those of you who came to my talks before, no, I don't like to lecture, but to do it more interactively. And, uh, I will give it some introduction, of course, and then uh, try and answer your uh, questions, explain uh, things that are not uh, clear as best we can. So, first of all, what is the uh, liturgy of the pre-sanctified gifts? What, what is this? How does it... We know the regular liturgy that we serve all the time. Okay, we don't know. Yes. There is no Yes. Okay. And and when do we use this liturgy? Yes. Yes. Okay. Good. So uh, it is uh, the basically it's the, the just the com the communion which is attached to the evening service, but it acquired a special form. The question is why, uh, next question is, why do we use this special liturgy? Why don't we have usual liturgy during Lent? During the, of course, we have on Saturday and Sunday, yeah, but not Monday to Friday. Yes, yes. Yes. Oh, good. I don't need to give this talk. You understand it <laughs> very well. Uh, the liturgy is always joy. Yeah, this is Alexander. It's, it's very true. Uh, before uh, Eucharistic liturgy, why? Because it is the uh, the anticipation. Yeah, of the uh, the kingdom of God, Christ uh, said, and it says in the gospel, um, Saint Louis gospel, I appoint you a kingdom that uh, you may eat and drink in my kingdom. And Christ came yeah, to establish uh, his kingdom. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And of course, uh, it will come fully uh, only at the end, you know, when Christ uh, returns in glory. But every time we celebrate the liturgy, Christ uh, is present. The whole uh, Church is gathered together around Christ, and we, uh, in a sense, the whole 
literally the movement of the dynamic of the literature is this, this entering into this ascending in mystically into the kingdom of God. And it's also, of course, it's connected to the, uh, it's the, if you like, the, the manifestation of the resurrection of Christ. You know, after the resurrection, Christ, um, remember the story, he was, um, there were two of them who are journeying from uh, Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus. It's on the, the Sunday afternoon, if you like. Uh, of the day of the resurrection. And this stranger look, uh, comes along besides them uh, and says, why are you so sad? You remember the story? Yeah. Uh, uh, and they said, well, what? don't you know what happened? Uh, he said, what? Well, how there was, there was this Jesus of Nazareth who was a great uh, prophet uh, uh, and uh, we hoped that he was the one, you know, the one, the Messiah. Uh, but they crucified him. And not only that, but you know, this morning the women came and said the tomb is empty. You know, they'd seen angels and so on. And he b begins to explain to them, you know, from the from the from the scriptures, from the prophecies of the Old Testament, that that was how it had to to be, and finally when they get to where they're going, they make him stay with them, they're at the table, uh, he takes the bread, prays, blesses it, and gives it to them, and they recognize him. Yeah? And then he disappears. They come back and tell the other apostles how, how he was uh, made known, made manifest in the breaking of the bread. It's like in the Eucharist. We know that Christ uh, is present in the Eucharist, in the, uh, the consecrated holy gifts, the bread and wine that we partake of. So in the Orthodox tradition, and this is... Good evening. We've only just started. Uh, in the Orthodox uh, Church, and this is a bit distinct from the uh, other Christian, the Christian confessions, the Eucharist is always a feast. It always has this Paschal uh, character, especially on Sundays. Every Sunday is like a mini Pascha. Things developed a bit differently in the in 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 the Western tradition. But we can go into that if you're interested. Um, and that is the basic reason why, in the time of the fasting, you know, we can't celebrate uh, the Eucharist because it doesn't it sort of doesn't match up. The the Eucharist is here, you know, and and we are humbling ourselves uh, in uh, trying to, in re repentance and sorrow uh, for uh, our loss, actually, of paradise. So if that's the case, then why, uh, why is it only Monday, 
Monday to Friday that we don't do that. Because, uh, well, I, I, I already said that every Sunday is like the commemoration of the, the resurrection. Every Saturday is the day of uh, the day of rest, the day consecrated uh, uh, by God when He rested from all His works in the creation. And uh, so these days are not exactly part of Lent in the strict sense. They 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 stand apart. And that standing apart is is marked by the fact that we celebrate the Eucharist on those days, the full liturgy. Now, in the early church, there was a very interesting uh, custom, which probably to us today is very surprising. That uh, the and we're talking about the first couple of centuries, first two or three centuries of. Uh, Christianity, the uh, people not only received the Holy Communion at the Sunday liturgy, but they were actually given the consecrated uh, gifts to take home with them so that uh, every day they could commune themselves at home if they wanted. we have a, a sort of a slight, a small analogy with that, in that you, you might, many people take the Holy Prosphora and take home, uh, have a uh, piece before uh, they eat at the beginning of the day. Uh, but in those days, they actually gave the holy gifts. Now, I have to remember, uh, this was the time of uh, persecution, the time uh, when in most places uh, and many times, you know, if you are caught and you confess to being a Christian, refuse to offer the sacrifice to the idols, that was it, you know, you were martyred. Uh, So the people, uh, those days the Christians were very serious about their faith. It's literally a matter of life and death for them. And knowing that that could happen at any time, uh, they naturally had the uh, desire to be constantly united with Christ every day uh, through partaking of the Holy Holy Communion. Uh, A lot changed uh, when the pers- time of persecutions came to an end in the beginning of the fourth century, when uh, m- many, you know, soon the majority of people became uh, Christians, there was no danger. It was even, if you like, the fashionable thing to do. Much has happened, you know, let's be honest, in the uh, Soviet times, uh, after the end of the uh, the. the, the uh, the, the atheist uh, govern- governments. Uh, and therefore this meant that uh, it was just impossible, you know, because you don't know what are the people are going to do if you give them the 
what he gives. Do they understand what this is? Will they treat it with the proper reverence? And so on and so forth. Uh, but nevertheless, the, the church uh, recognized uh, that we do need uh, to be fed regularly in the Holy Communion, and especially uh, during the time of the Lent, the fast. It's a time, uh, or should be a time of some spiritual, special effort, uh, special uh, uh, struggle uh, to overcome with God's help one's uh, failings, to see with more clarity one's sins, to return uh, God in the same way that the prodigal son in the story you know, returned to his father's home. And I think everyone who takes that seriously or tries even a little bit you know, to make the effort during Lent, uh, well, you tell me, what happens? what you experience during the times of the fast. Yes. Yeah. What else? Is it, is it an easy is it an easy time? Any of you notice that there, there can be special, uh, unusual temptations? Yes. Yeah? It's Cushini. Be quiet. Yes. It builds our strength and connects us deeply with that. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it's, uh, you know, perhaps as a priest you have a wider view, but it's very, very noticeable that uh, the, during the fast, and especially around the time of the beginning of the fast, you know, all kinds of people experience, many people experience you know, special temptations and exactly because. Uh, well, look, uh, we read the gospel. I remember when Jesus, uh, after he was baptized in the Jordan, what did he do? 
he went into the desert. In fact, Luke says the spirit drove him into the desert. Yeah. And what did he do in the desert? He prayed and fasted. Yeah, how long? Forty days. Forty days. And who showed up? The evil one. Right. So this is a perfect paradigm for what is happening during the the fast. Uh, and if you read the, the, the church hymns, you know, they, they speak about uh, the time of, for combat. At the beginning it says, the time for combat is at hand. Uh, it's very important to understand that because we might think, you know, if we had a, that uh, by analogy with some other kinds of spiritual uh, uh, spiritualities or faiths and something. The time of uh, Lent is a kind of a, a retreat, it's a very quiet time where we can sit peacefully and read a good book and you know think about the meaning of life and stuff like that. It's not <laughs> not how it works. Yeah. Um, if it's like that then we should probably ask ourselves are we actually really taking the this seriously or not? Uh, no, no. It is a by essence, it is a, a struggle. It is a, uh, a combat. Uh, uh, and because of that, uh, the, you know, the Holy Mother Church recognizes that we need uh, all the help we can get, you know, all the spiritual strength, and we get this. Well, in, in many ways, through the if we attending the special church services, uh, the Lenten services, uh, but especially uh, through the partaking of the Holy Communion more uh, uh, frequently, perhaps than we uh, normally uh, do. So that's the basic uh, reason why we have this. Uh, Liturgy of the Pre-Sanctified Gifts on usually the Wednesday and Friday uh, in Lent. Hello, welcome. Shall we summarize for Alexandra and uh, Amy what, uh, what we've talked about so far? Yes? Okay, so we're talking about the liturgy of the pre-sanctified gifts. You know what that is? Yes? No. Uh, it's the special service uh, that uh, is celebrated on Wednesdays and Fridays in Lent. Uh, uh, strictly speaking in the evening, but uh, sometimes in the morning, uh, in which there is, uh, it ends with the uh, giving of Holy Communion 
uh, from the gifts which have been consecrated at the liturgy the previous Sunday. Uh, it's because we don't celebrate the church canons, the church rules uh, forbid the celebration of the Eucharistic, the Eucharist, uh, Monday to Friday during Lent, because the joyful and festive and paschal spirit of the Holy Eucharist is not, uh, doesn't match up to the time of uh, repentance and, and sorrow for our sins that is characteristic of the fast. Uh, it's celebrated only on uh, Sunday and also on Saturday because those days are kind of outside the, to a certain extent, the, 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 the fasting time. Uh, and the reason for that is because the Lent, the fast, is a time of spiritual struggle with our uh, sins, with our temptations that uh, tend to increase at that time, and we need uh, all that help that God can give us, and he gives that above all through the, part, the partaking of his body and blood in the Holy Communion. So... Um, a little bit more his historical. Uh, quite possibly this uh, uh, special uh, service uh, was originally celebrated not only during the Great Lent before Easter, but during all the uh, times of fasting, the other four fast before Christmas, in the Apostles' fast and before Domitian. Uh, but in the course of time, it became, came to be constant, concentrated in the uh, Great Lent because that acquired uh, yeah, special intensity that we don't quite find in the other fasts. Uh, it bears the, uh, the name of St. Gregory, uh, the Pope of Rome in the 6th century. Um, although it probably existed before, certainly existed before his time, but he just introduced it uh, in, into wider uh, use in the Western Church. Ironically, now it's died out there, but it continues in the Orthodox Church. The, it be, uh, it's essentially uh, an evening service. Why is this? Because uh, we always, uh, before the Holy Communion, we always fast. And here we need to distinguish the two meanings of the word uh, fast, the two senses. There is the, uh, what's called the Eucharistic fast, or the fast before communion. You know what this is from the night before. Yeah, you don't eat or drink until after you receive the Holy Communion. Uh, this is like the total fast. Why do you think we do that? Mm -hmm. 
It just wouldn't feel right to have your breakfast, bacon and eggs, and coffee and toast, and then come to church and have the Holy Communion. It, it, the, the, the physical hunger, you know, uh, or at least the uh, lightness that comes from not having uh, eaten uh, shortly for some time before, uh, it, it's a sort of, yeah, and it's like a metaphor uh, for the spirit, the expectation, the spiritual uh, hunger for Christ. This is because uh, we are what we are. We are we are creatures composed of the body and souls and spirit, uh, and uh, the the body and the spirit, the soul. They are all they are connected very uh, in, uh, intimately. And so what we do with the body affects uh, how we, our souls uh, feel as a spiritual uh, dimension and, and, and vice versa. So the total abstinence generates in itself this sense of expectation. Uh, on the physical level, uh, purely physiological level, you know, your body is looking forward to its next <laughs> meal. But because of the spiritual connection, with that is transformed or transposed into uh, a spiritual hunger for the communion with the body and blood of Christ. Uh, it's very unfortunate that uh, other the, the non-Orthodox uh, confessions have essentially uh, abandoned this fast before communion. Uh, I'm old enough to remember the uh, Roman Catholic Church before the reforms of the mid-20th century, the Second Vatican Council. And there definitely, you, know, you didn't have breakfast before going to, to church to the Mass for the communion. Uh, but they, for whatever reason, make things easier, this and that. Uh, to all intents and purposes, they abolished uh, that or reduced it to one hour. Well, what is one hour? And likewise, the, in, in, most, uh, in most cases, in the Protestant confessions, it doesn't exist uh, anymore. So that is the total fast, the uh, Eucharistic, the fast for uh, communion. Uh, but uh, there is also this uh, fast that we keep during the whole uh, time of Lent, where we eat, but we eat only certain things, basically things of a non-animal uh, origin. And this fasting has a different uh, character, different purpose. We, we, we can call it the uh, sort of ascetic fasting. Uh, 
uh, ascesis, it's a Greek word which means uh, training. Yeah? So that if you're an athlete, you know, you're preparing for the, the marathon or whatever, uh, you go into a regime of training. And even athletes today are very careful about you know, what they eat and when they eat and so on to, uh, to get the best performance. So we have this time of uh, training uh, during the, the fast. Uh, what is going on there? Well, in this, is this, uh, in this sense, fasting is a kind of, uh, it's a very practical thing. It's a sort of tool. It's not an end in itself. It's a kind of tool that we use uh, to, uh, well, some people uh, spoke earlier on about a sort of uh, purification. Yeah. Uh, but also in, in this sense of the spiritual struggle. Uh, it's a kind of weapon. There's somewhere in the Gospels that Jesus says that the demon uh, can be driven out only by what? Prayer and fasting. Yeah. Do it together. Uh, the uh, the, the, our problem is, uh, I spoke a little while earlier about how we are composed of you know, uh, flesh and spirit, body and soul. Um, let's not worry too much about the exact nuances of these different words. Uh, and the problem is that ever since the fall, uh, Adam and Eve, the, uh, the flesh, uh, uh, the body and its various kinds of appetites yeah, have had the upper hand yeah. to a great uh, to a very great extent we tend to do what our uh, bodies want to do eat drink sleep whatever um, whether or not that is uh, in our best interest, shall we say, spiritually. Uh, when the human being is functioning in the way God intended, uh, then the spirit should be in control, you know, setting the agenda for the body, and not vice versa. The fact that uh, the fall, the original sin, uh, is, shall we say, imaged yeah, by the story of the, uh, the image of eating the, of eating yeah, the forbidden fruit, eating what was not, a, not blessed to be eaten, uh, is kind of symbolic. So, uh, we undertake this uh, prolonged uh, uh, ascetic fast of abstinence from uh, what I call heavy foods, dense uh, 
foods like meat and dairy products and so on. Uh, exactly for this uh, purpose of restoring the proper balance in our lives, in, our, in ourselves. Also, uh, and this is a matter of uh, simply empirical observation, uh, when you fast uh, in this way, then certain things change in your life. Uh, for one thing, it becomes a bit easier to pray. Uh, for another thing, uh, it weakens the, what we call the passions. Yeah? You know what the, I mean by the word passion? Strastia. Yeah? Especially the physical uh, uh, passions. Uh, and so it becomes this very useful uh, tool that we can use together with uh, prayer to support uh, uh, our spiritual life, to give us uh, wings, if you like, spiritually, not to be tied down uh, to the earth. But this it doesn't happen uh, uh, Overnight, it's not enough just to, to fast for you know, one day, two days, three days, or a, a week. Uh, it takes time. That's why uh, the, the fast is a quite extended period of time. Uh, 40 days, if you count the Monday to Fridays. So, uh, let's come back to the, and don't, please, don't mind to in, interrupt me and ask a question, you know, if something is not clear or you have some comments. Uh, why, why do we celebrate the, uh, this liturgy of the pre-sanctified gifts in, in the evening, if we do it properly? It means, uh, if we start, and that's, now I'm coming back to the, uh, the fast before communion, the total abstinence from food and, food and drink. Uh, if we time that from, say, midnight, uh, then the length of that fast will be determined by the time at which we uh, have communion. And the church has arranged things so that the length of this fast for communion is related to the uh, de degree of uh, the extent to which it is a, a feast or a fast. On a big feast, like on Pascha or Christmas, when the liturgy is celebrated very, very early in the morning, yeah, all intents and purposes in the middle of the night. This fast is very short. But conversely, uh, uh, on the times 
of fasting, it's very long. So if it was kept you know, strictly, uh, fasting from midnight, pre-sanctified, celebrated in the late afternoon or evening, you would have a, a, a total fast of between 15 and 18 hours, something like that. Quite long. Um, and exactly for, uh, for that reason, uh, church has uh, made some uh, concessions. So in practice, you know, if you need to, you can uh, eat up to six hours before uh, the communion. Uh, but it's encouraged to keep the fast as, as long as you are able, taking into account you know, what you have to do during the day and so on. How used to fasting you are and, and, and things like that. But the effect is the same. Uh, and, it, uh, it trans and this is the key point. You know, it transforms the day yeah, with this sense of expectation. It's one thing, you know, an ordinary day. Yeah, when the end of the day you just uh, go home and uh, rest or be with your family or whatever, that's all fine. But if at the end of my day uh, is this communion with Christ, through having communion at the priesthood, it, it uh, changes, the, it changes the perspective of the day. It transforms time itself into this sense of uh, expectation uh, of the meeting uh, with Christ. Humanly speaking, we might have an experience of that if uh, there is uh, someone you love very much, but you are s separated from them. But you know that you know, on such and such a day, at such and such a time, they are going to arrive at your door. You're going to go to them. Of course, you look forward to it uh, deeply. And the more deeply you love them, the more uh, deeply you, you look, intensely you look forward to that. Well, uh, this is what happens uh, at least as, as much as we are uh, able uh, by the communion in, in the evening. Uh, are there some questions or comments now before I go on to talk about uh, the service in more detail? Is that because you've understood everything or because you're completely baffled? <laughs> okay. I think you've got the general idea. When you say you fast for six hours. Yes. Does that mean you eat nothing at all? Yes. Even if it does? Yeah. Okay. Uh, neither drink. Sorry? Nor drink. Sense, 
when he's always here. And then when we talk about liberation, we see meeting, meeting God, we mean communion with him. Uh, it's, is it some sort of a intensified meeting with him, encounter with him? Why, why, I mean, I think I, I know that there is a difference between <laughs> just him, him just feeding with us and we, we, us addressing him in prayer mm-hmm. and in communion, which is a whole new level. So the question is, if Christ is always uh, with us, uh, as he has uh, promised, uh, then why this, uh, what is special about Communion. Yeah, well, I know that it's special yeah. because it's, um, it's uh, his, him, himself mm-hmm. being present in physical form. But is it the case? Is it why the parents call communion separately? Well, it goes to the uh, heart of what uh, communion mm-hmm. is. Uh, by uh, by taking communion, by partaking of the holy mysteries, we are united uh, with Christ uh, in the uh, highest degree possible. Mm-hmm. That is. Uh, We become, uh, with one, in a sense, one body, one flesh, with the incarnate Son of God. Uh, One may add um, that that also affects our relationship with everyone else. It's not only me and uh, Jesus. Because I'm partaking of the body of Christ. But the body of Christ is the whole church. Uh, in the prayer of St. Basil's liturgy, which we use on the Sunday, it says, uh, unite uh, and, un- and unite us uh, one with another who become partakers of the one body and the one cup. So this is a kind of an, uh, the ultimate actualization of that uh, presence of Christ. Uh, and it is related to the fact that we are incarnate beings, bodies as well as spirits. Yeah, the holy angels have uh, no need <laughs> no, to partake of the body and blood of uh, Christ, because they are in immediate spiritual relationship with Him. But for us, it is mediated through through the body, and therefore uh, 
That's why it's uh, appropriate and necessary to prepare ourselves uh, appropriately for that encounter. Um, okay. So, uh, in a little bit of how the uh, service proceeds. Uh, it begins uh, with the priest's exclamation. Well, it is, uh, liturgically it's basically it's Vespers in the Lenten form with the Holy Communion attached, as it were, at the end. Uh, Vespers, as you know, begins with the exclamation, and like all the other services apart from the Eucharist, begins with the priest's exclamation, blessed is our God, always now and forever to the ages of ages. Uh, but because this is uh, a service of uh, communion, uh, it begins with the same exclamation as the liturgy itself, blessed is the kingdom of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then it, it begins with normal, otherwise as normal, with the, the psalm, which is read at the beginning of Vespers, in the Psalm 103. Uh, <clears throat> bless the daughter of my soul, let all that is within me uh, bless its whole name. Psalm 103 is the great psalm of the creation, actually. It's well, worth reading if you're not uh, familiar with it. It speaks about the, uh, the animals and uh, coming out uh, during the night to hunt, going to lie down uh, in their dens during the day. But man, it says, goes forth to his work until the evening. And then uh, there follows the, uh, another section of the Psalms. Um, the, the Vespers and the Hours and so on, by the way, are made, uh, mostly consist of the reading or chanting of the Psalms. Yeah. The Psalter is the, uh, the, the prayer book of the, of the church. We read it all the time, and especially during Lent. Uh, then there is read the 18th Kathisma. The Psalter, by the way, is divided into 20 sections called Kathismata. Um, that uh, the, begins with Psalm 120. Uh, and these uh, uh, Psalms, they're called the Songs of uh, Ascent. Uh, seems they were sung uh, or chanted by the uh, worshippers who were, as they were going to the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, uh, one of them says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Uh, very, uh, they are very lively, very uh, joyful psalms on the whole. But while that's being read, uh, some, the priest in the altar has uh, certain things, practical things to do. So, what does he do? The uh, holy gifts that were consecrated uh, the previous Sunday are kept in a special container on the holy table. Uh, 
uh, heat priest takes them uh, from that and places them on the, uh, the pattern or the discourse with great reverence, you know, prostrating before them, uh, sensing three times uh, around and so on. And uh, finally he uh, goes down and Nielsen carries uh, them to the uh, offertory table, in Russian the Zhetvenik. Uh, then he puts wine in the chalice, covers the holy gifts, uh, similarly to how that's done at the end of the Proski uh, Media in the liturgy, but without saying anything. It's all done in silence by the, uh, by the priest, because everything that needs to be said has already been <laughs> said during the uh, liturgy the previous Sunday. The deacon comes in and out, saying the small uh, litanies between the uh, sections of the uh, of the kathismat. Uh, after that, again, vespers proceeds um, in the normal way. The, uh, the hymns uh, of Lord, I have called unto the hymn, Gospel of Osvach, sung. The priest or the deacon senses the whole church. Uh, then the evening hymn, Sietitihi, uh, or Gladsome Night, uh, is sung. Uh, and then there are two, uh, and this is where it becomes a, a little bit different from the um, Vespers in ordinary time. Uh, at Vespers during Lent, we have two readings from the Old Testament. Uh, for most of the uh, uh, Lent, this is from the book of Genesis, uh, uh, and the second reading from the book of Proverbs. Genesis, of course, recounts the creation of the world, uh, the, uh, the fall of the human beings, the leaving paradise, and uh, the Cain and Abel, it, you, know, you know the how it goes on, the flood and so on. This recapitulates the origins of the uh, world as we know it. Um, uh, the book of Proverbs, it's uh, so-called wisdom literature, uh, if you like, moral uh, instructions, about, instructions about how to lead a moral and godly life. Why these two books? Um, probably because uh, the uh, Lent originated as the time of uh, preparation for baptism. In the ancient church, if you wanted to get baptized, it wasn't done you know, on any day. You know. uh, 
but primarily at Easter itself. And uh, you had to go through a pretty intense uh, course of instruction before you were baptized. There was no baptism on demand in the early church. And we're beginning to return uh, to this proper way of preparing people, adults, for, for baptism. And so those who uh, had decided to be baptized had to register yeah, at the beginning of Lent, have their names written down in the book, and then turn up basically every day to the church uh, for the prayer and for instruction. Uh, and they were also required to fast. in the sense of uh, the ascetic fasting, basically a vegan diet. All of this to prepare them for their, uh, their baptism, this life-changing uh, uh, event, their new uh, birth. And it seems that uh, quite early on the uh, church realized that this was actually a good idea for all of us. Uh, we like to renew, uh, we don't go back to being catechumens, but to uh, renew our that grace of holy baptism in us through prayer, fasting, and repentance, and so on. And these two, uh, these books, uh, Genesis and Proverbs, are, are particularly appropriate because uh, they, if you like, uh, Genesis gives the big picture. Bear in mind that you, they were dealing here with pagans, you know, who had no, uh, by and large, uh, who had to learn that there is only one God, that uh, he is the creator of heaven and earth, uh, that uh, human beings were created uh, pure but fell through sin. Uh, all that is the context for, of course, for the incarnation, for the coming of Christ to undo all that, uh, the effects of the, the fall, uh, and to recreate us. Uh, Proverbs, again, just a good um, moral instruction. And between those, there's a very interesting little ritual or rite that happens between those two Old Testament readings. Uh, the priest uh, comes out holding uh, a lighted candle in the censer. Uh, everyone makes a prostration and the priest says, uh, Maybe someone knows what the priest says. Alexandra. Yes. Yes. The light of Christ. Uh, all of that, the, the whole of the Bible, 
in that we call the old, uh, the part that we call the Old Testament, Rivki Zaviyat, points to Christ and is understood, can only be understood in the light of Christ. It's Christ that makes sense uh, of the whole thing. This is connected with, the, uh, and again with baptism, because uh, the old uh, word for baptism, which we, we still find actually in this uh, service of the pre-sanctified, was holy illumination, sitoi prosvishinia. The idea basically being that human beings are more or less groping around in the darkness until Christ comes into our lives to make to enlighten us. Okay, uh, uh, what comes next? Uh, and now we begin to transition into the uh, the specific um, details of the liturgy of the pre-sanctified gifts. Uh, the priest standing before the holy table. Um, ah. Uh, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Uh, after this, uh, there is the... I can confuse myself. Of course, the... Uh... Oh, no, I was right. The next part is the uh, prayer, let my prayer... Arise. The priest stands standing before the holy table uh, uh, with the censer, which should have lots of incense on it and clouds of smoke going up. Uh, either the priest sings or the choir sing, uh, Let my prayer be set forth, uh, let my prayer arise in thy sight as the incense. Thy spravit samalit famaya yako kadila pretta boyo. This, by the way, is the same psalm uh, that is sung every evening at Vespers on, uh, uh, on Lord, I have called, Gospodi Vazvach, second verse. Uh, but it's, it's sort of like it's repeated here to give a special uh, emphasis, special intensity to the uh, prayer before we come proceed to the uh, communion of the pre-sanctified gifts. Um, you know, I can talk about this as long as you like, but uh, the only way uh, uh, to appreciate it is actually, as with everything else in the church, is just to show up, <laughs> be part of it. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, just, just a straw poll. How, how many of you have actually ever been present at the celebration of this liturgy? Have. Yeah. Not sure. <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it, it really. It, it's very special. 
uh, if you, you should move heaven and earth in order to find the possibility to uh, and rearrange your schedules, whatever, take a, sh a half day off work in order to make it possible to attend this liturgy at least uh, once or twice during the, the fast. You won't regret it because it is uh, incredibly beautiful. Uh, with a special, uh, again, difficult to express in uh, words, the conventional phrase is the bright sadness that was coined by uh, Father Alexander Schwimmen in his wonderful little book, The Great Lent. That's yes, a classic uh, book in English which explains uh, the meaning uh, of the great uh, fast. Great Lent journey to Pascha, Alexander Schwimmen. Difficult to get hold of now, but if you can find a second-hand copy, some is well worth uh, reading. And he, of course, he mentions the uh, pre-sanctified. In fact, I'll put it in my pocket now before anybody runs off with it if I forget it. <laughs> he explains the pre-sanctified liturgy, among other things. Uh, the next, uh, uh, the next element is the. You remember the holy guests were taken to the table, uh, the offertory table, uh, during the reading of the 18th Kathisma. Now they have to be brought to the, back to the altar for the Holy Communion. So there is an, an entrance yeah, for the, uh, just at the, as at the, uh, so here we have the entrance of, Marini <laughs> uh, This looks uh, sort of like the great entrance at the normal Eucharistic liturgy, you know, where the uh, clergy bring the prepared um, gifts of bread and wine. Uh, out through the north door, across the solea, and in through the royal doors um, before the beginning of the Eucharist, before the, uh, the prayer of the anaphora. But of course it's different, yeah? because in the Eucharist, this is before the consecration. So what the priest is bringing is essentially bread and wine. Yes, specially prepared with a lot of special prayers and so on, but the bread and the wine, the, the gifts that we are offering in the Eucharist. Uh, in the liturgy of the pre-sanctified, it, it of course is the already consecrated gift. So it's, he is bringing the body and blood uh, um, uh, of Christ. Uh, and this is why it's uh, carried out with special Solemnity. Uh, the deacon, for example, uh, walks backwards facing the holy gifts, sensing uh, the people uh, in the church should, uh, everyone should be making the full prostration before the holy gifts. Uh, and the choir sing uh, instead of the cherubic hymn, Ishi Kerohimi. Uh, let us mystically represent the term. They sing uh, Now the powers of heaven with us invisibly to uh, serve. Uh, 
the uh, judge uh, knows through <coughs> experience, through the centuries of uh, tradition, that uh, the holy gifts, the body and blood of Christ, are, as it were, escorted by the holy angels. Yeah, we are not alone in the church. The angels are there uh, with us because Christ is there. Uh, very beautiful uh, hymn. But the entrance is made almost, uh, as far as the clergy is concerned, there's no Vedikva Gospodinia Tsarnashava, the commemoration of the hierarchy, the queen, and all the rest. No. Silence. Uh, <clears throat> except that he completes the prayer by saying, Let us draw near, let us draw near with faith and love that we may become partakers of life eternal. Uh, there follows uh, the prayer of Saint Ephraim, the Syrian, O Lord and Master of my life, Gospedi Vladika Shivatamayako. The priest is uh, here prostrating before the holy uh, gifts when that prayer is said. So this reminds us, you know, that this is, again, this is still in the, fully in the penitential context of the great fast. But Christ has come to strengthen us in our spiritual endeavor, such as it may be. Uh, then, uh, very uh, little more has to, uh, has to be done. The deacon says the usual uh, uh, evening liturgy, lit litany is for, let us complete our evening uh, prayer to the Lord, uh, while the priest quietly in the sanctuary reads the uh, special prayer uh, that is oriented towards the approaching uh, communion with Christ. Then there is the, uh, the choir sings that Our Father in exactly the same position in relation to communion as it is at the full liturgy. The Lord's Prayer is always the last prayer that we say together before uh, taking uh, communion, if you don't count the, the prayer that the, the priest reads, you know, I believe, O oh Lord, and I confess. Uh, then the priest uh, and the deacon, if there is one, uh, receive communion in the altar. The priest prepares, the uh, divides the holy gifts, places them in the chalice, and comes out to give uh, Holy Communion to the people. Uh, in the same way, more or less, as at the full liturgy. Uh, and then, the litany of thanksgiving uh, and the dismissal. Uh, and that is, that is it. 
if uh, the, the liturgy is celebrated at the proper time in the evening, uh, when we leave the church, it's already dark or, or getting dark. But we are not dark inside. On the contrary, uh, we are uh, illumined, enlightened, uh, uh, blessed by the uh, uh, by the uh, Christ Himself. Uh, to carry on on this journey, that's a good image for the fast: the journey to Pascha, the journey to Easter, when everything is fulfilled. So, uh, so, you have to go? Okay, bye-bye. I'm sorry? Plus one or two other days. Check the time. Yes. As always, check the timetable of services. Okay. Good bless. Thank you. Okay. So we just have ten minutes for uh, if there are any questions or something to. Where, where do you see that? Um, like at Moldova. In Moldova they do that. Uh, that's very interesting. Yes. It's like a signal for the people to, to go down. Yes. Uh, probably they, it's something you find in the, uh, in the Roman Catholic Church and some Anglican churches as well, using a little bell to signal when something important is uh, uh, is happening. Uh, we don't do that, uh, but it because you know, many, often people are not not very oriented with this that you don't really understand quite what is happening, and so you find people are just standing there, you know, when the holy gifts are coming through. So the Deacon has to sing. <laughs> yes. It's it's just a signal. Menina, what do you think about the pre-sanctified? It's a special, very, has a special very, character, yes? Yes, kind of very special because it's dark already, normally we have liturgy in the morning, but it's yeah. kind of dark 
dark and it also it's a little bit similar to that we have liturgy at midnight, you know, mm. but it's very rare. But still, the, the character of the liturgy is uh, the, when we sing this Nini Sili Nibiesni. Mm. Mm. Yes, it's, uh, it's have this mysterious feeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. it's, 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 you know, it's kind of, that does actually have this special feeling. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it is a great uh, gift, and it's something that is uh, quite specific to the Orthodox Church. Uh, in, I know the, the, Roman, the Roman Catholic Church, and about Anglicans, uh, on the only day when they don't uh, celebrate the Mass is the Good Friday itself, and then there is a very simple uh, communion uh, uh, given after the veneration of the cross, but it has, uh, it's nothing like this. In principle, it should be complete fast from the night before. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and so certainly in, in, in the monasteries, they would ob observe that uh, the, probably the priest who is celebrating will observe that. But because that's uh, quite difficult for people who are not used to it, for people who have to go to uh, work, especially their physical work, then uh, the uh, it, it, the church makes this uh, concession, you know, by economia. <laughs> it's actually this quite because this is uh, this is connected with this church because why I'll tell you. Because of the practical difficulties with keeping the all-day, basically all-day fast, uh, until relatively recent times, it was the normal practice to celebrate the pre-sanctified in the morning at the same time as the regular liturgy. Uh, and in fact, even here, certain days we, we do that because you know, just because of the, the number of services we have to fit in and so on. Um, so then it's not, not a particular issue. But uh, when, met, years ago, Metro, uh, Metropolitan Antony yeah, of Soros uh, introduced in this church you know, the practice of celebrating the liturgy of the pre-sanctified in the evening, where it should be. Uh, and that was something, at the time, that was uh, something new, you know, like a, 
innovation, although it's just a going back to the tradition. Uh, but as a pastor, he understood uh, that you know, it's no point in doing this if nobody's going to come to communion because it's too much fasting <laughs> for them. So he wrote to the uh, Holy Synod of our church, uh, explaining what he was doing and asking them to give a blessing to reduce the fast to a like, minimum of six hours. And the synod uh, agreed and made that a, yeah, a rule for the whole uh, Russian Orthodox Church. So, it's our. I'm sorry? It was like arbitrary children time. Ah, so why, why the six hours? Well, uh, physiologically, uh, that's enough for any food that you have eaten to be absorbed. Yeah. So your, your, your stomach is basically empty by six hours after you've uh, eaten. It's, it's long enough for that feeling of, you know, when you've, when you've had a meal, you feel, if you eat normally, yeah, you, you feel sort of satisfied. You, know, you don't feel hungry. Yeah. But after six hours, yeah, then you might begin to start thinking, oh, well, it's <laughs> when's, <laughs> when's supper time? <laughs> so it's, it's, just about, it's, it's, it's just how we are physically. You know? It's long enough to, to, to be a, a meaningful and palpable um, uh, feeling of emptiness. But it doesn't, of course, you know, it shouldn't be abused. You, uh, if you're doing that, you should have a, you know, a, a light lunch rather than a, <laughs> a, big, uh, a big lunch. Otherwise, you'll still feel yeah, a bit full by after six hours. Well, about the frequency, about the frequency of, of taking Holy Communion, ah, yes. if, if one is present at both, say there are two presentified, uh, and two liturgies Saturday and Sunday, is it okay to receive the Holy Communion every, every time? So literally three or four Wednesday, days. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Sunday. Is, is that okay to three or three times, really? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's uh, these questions should probably be discussed individually yeah. Yeah, with your with your priest. Uh, I think if you know if a person is making like, uh, a serious, it, you see, it it's connected with the intensity of the observance of the fast. Yeah. yeah? I, if somebody was really not taking the fast very uh, seriously, you know, not making or observing, but not really making much of an effort, then I would probably not think that was a good idea. If somebody is making a serious uh, effort uh, on not just with the physical fast, but with the fasting, and yeah, as much more to it, as you know, than, than the physical fasting, uh, then 
Yes. Okay. Well, thank you for your uh, attention. Oh, pray. pray.